Those steps used to be easy. They ain't so easy anymore. I come down one at a time, and if I'm not careful, I gotta go up one at a time. I look like an old person. I feel like an old, I'm just kidding you, old people. <laughs> See Peggy going like this at me back there. <laughs> Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of God with you today. And you have to qualify, Pastor, uh, real quick, uh, that we grew up in the same area, but we did not know each other. Uh, I did not hang around the good guys. My wife, as a matter of fact, I would have never known her if I wouldn't have been saved. Uh, she didn't hang around people like me, amen. And, and I thank God that, uh, that uh, he hung on to her for me and uh, kept her for me. In fact, I have to tell you the story sometime, but I proposed to her when I was in prison, and, uh, and I was. And, but uh, the second time I met her, I proposed to her and asked her to marry me. And I don't know what she was thinking, but she said, yes, amen. And uh, nine months later, I got out of prison August 12th, 1974, saved, born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb about nine months before that, and got out of prison uh, in August 12th, 1974, and we got married September 6th, 1974, the very next month. I wasn't even out of jail. My parole officer asked me, are you sure? I said, yeah, I'm as sure as I can be, amen. And uh, we got married, and she been, I tell everybody that uh, she's stuck with me, but I've been stuck on her, amen. And uh, God's good. It's good to be in the house of God today. And uh, we just celebrated 45 years of marriage, and thank the Lord, amen. Been saved 45 years, 45 years of marriage, 40 years in full-time ministry together. You know, we got 80 years of ministry between the two of us, amen. 40 for her and 40 for me, amen. And uh, I know she looks older than I do, I'm just saying, but she's not, amen. <laughs> oh, I did it now. I lost everybody there, Pastor. I mean, the whole crowd's going to walk out on me, amen. <laughs> psalm in chapter 38 with me this morning, please. The book of Psalms in the 38th Psalm. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from the Word of God, Psalm chapter 38. I'll give you a couple of seconds to get there and then stand with me if you could, please. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first three verses of this text. We're going to look all the way through this text in just a moment. But here in the first three verses, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. And Father, thank you again for your word. I pray, God, that you'd use us this morning to challenge us, Father. And God, as always, if there is anyone in our presence who has never come to the true salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the Day, Father, your Holy Spirit will bring them underneath the convicting power of your word, Father, and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and bring them to that place and show them their need for a Savior, and that today they might be born again, washed in your blood. Father, we thank you for your precious word now. Thank you for the day. Help us, those your children, Father, to glean from this, that which will help each one of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. As I begin this morning, I'd like to speak to you for a few moments on this idea in Psalm chapter 38, uh, the title to the message. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this thought down, the truth about sin. 
the truth about sin. You know, it's a sad state in our country today that there is things going on in Christians' lives and things going on in churches that you would have never seen back in the, uh, even in the 60s, pastor, the 40s and the 50s, the 60s, and maybe even in the 70s, and how far away many churches have gone away from the things of God, and we, don't, and we excuse it. We say, well, times are different, days are different, things have changed, and, but we have, uh, can I tell you what, God has never changed. Pastor, you just mentioned that scripture up here a little bit about the changing of the seasons, but God has never changed. He's the same yesterday, the Bible says, today and what, and forever. God has never changed, amen, but we have changed. And sometimes because of that, we have allowed things to come into our lives and things to come into the church and uh, things to come into uh, personal relationships and things that maybe ought not to be, amen, uh, that we might come back to God where we ought to be as the children of God. And the truth about sin this morning, I want you to see that we have excused it away so far uh, that it has damaged us and damaged the church. But in verse 1 again, he makes a statement, the Lord, rebuke me not in thy hot displeasure, in thy wrath, excuse me, neither chase me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh uh, because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. In the end of verse 1 again, he says, He chasten me not in thy hot displeasures. And, and number one, I wrote down, if you're taking notes, write this thought down. Uh, the truth about sin is that it displeases God. It does not please God, never has pleased God, never will please God, never can please God. And God's not changed, my friend. He's the same as he has always been. And David makes a thought here in the end of this verse. He says, he says uh, uh, it, it brings this pleasure to God, but David makes this statement in the end of verse 3. He says, uh, he says, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin." David is not blaming his sin on the nation of Israel. David is not blaming his sin on, uh, on uh, uh, Bathsheba. He's not blaming his sin on anybody but himself. Uh, he's not blaming his sin on Absalom, his son. He's not blaming his sin on Saul, who tried to slay David, who tried to destroy him. Uh, David is saying, my sin. And you need to understand something about sin. It is your sin. It's not the sin of somebody else that sends a person to hell into eternal damnation. It's not the sin of somebody else that causes you to go out of the way with God and go in a direction you ought not to go. Uh, go. You have to recognize the fact that it is your sin. Your sin that separates between you and God. And your sin, you need to understand this, your sin displeases God. Your sin can never please God. Sin can never make God happy. Sin can never uplift the children of God. Sin cannot bring God's blessing upon you. Sin destroys you. And sin is a terrible thing in an individual life, in a born-again believer's life. And we have excused things away so easily. Today, I was telling them in the earlier service, it is so sad today, Pastor, that in 
churches, and I'm sure maybe even out here, but in Michigan, churches that were sound, churches, churches that used to stand on the Bible the right way, and churches that used to be separated, and churches that used to stand for holy things and right things today are allowing social drinking in their, in their uh, fellowships and their churches and allowing that amongst their people. And some of the preachers are involved in it like anybody else. Shame on them, amen. They've allowed things to infiltrate into the house of God that are not correct and are not right and ought never to be in a born-again believer's life. I think that we need to be so careful because sin does not make God happy. I think sometimes I've heard make people make the statement, well, I sin, but God can still get the glory. No, God does not get the glory from your sin. God gets the glory when you repent of your sin. You repent of your sin. Make that thing right with God as a child of God. Uh, you, you live in sin, God's not going to be pleased with you. He's not going to be happy with you. He's not going to bless you because you're living in sin against a holy Righteous God, sin displeases God. How many of you, when your children were growing up, when they were growing up and you would tell your child not to do something, and then they would do it, were you happy with that? No, you weren't happy with that. How many of you, when you were growing up and your parents would tell you to do something, your mom or your dad or somebody, and you disobeyed them, did that make them happy? No, it didn't make them happy. Amen? They never enjoyed that. They didn't. Uh, like uh, what you did when you weren't supposed to do it. Well, neither does God. And God is righteous. God is holy. God is pure. Well, I tell you, if things would upset our parents and things would upset those who are around us, how much more does our sin upset a holy, righteous, loving, pure God that gave himself on the cross of Calvary for you and shed his blood and went to the grave and rose again the third day that you might be able to put your faith in him by the grace of God working in your heart and, and putting your faith in him and trusting him as your personal Savior. What a Savior we have, amen. What a God we have. Well, number one, it displeases God. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8 makes this statement. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not a chastening of the Lord. When you displease God, expect his hand of chastening in your life. It's going to come your way, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Don't, don't shirk back. Don't run away when you're rebuked of God because of some sin in your life. Make that thing right with God. Settle it with God. Confess it to God and get on with your Christian life. Amen. Be what God has intended for you to be. He always made that statement to military, and I don't know which branch of the military it was, but I can't remember now. It might have been the Army. I don't know. They would always say, be all that you can be. Be all that you can be, you know. Be all that you can be. Well, can I tell you this in the Christian life? Be all that you can be. Amen. Be all that you can be as a born-again child of God. Hey, look at me, the second thought, number one, again, is the truth about sin, is it displeases God. The truth about sin, number two, look at verse four. He said, for mine iniquities are gone over mine head as in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. The truth about sin, number two, is it causes distress. He said, they're too heavy for me. They weigh down on me heavily. They, they press down on me. I don't know about you if you've done anything wrong since you have been born again, saved by the grace of God. I would imagine every one of us in this room have been in that place one time or another as a child of God, said something we should not say, 
hurt somebody in a mannerism that we not intend to, maybe hurt somebody because we were angry about something, did something that we should not do. Maybe you were angry at your husband or maybe you were angry at your wife or your parents or your, or your children. Maybe you were angry in such a way that uh, uh, when you went to bed that night, you did not take care of that problem and, and, uh, and you had a hard time sleeping. You don't have to put up your hand. I've been there, amen, uh, where, where you just, because of something weighing, sometimes because of things are weighing heavy on us that we're going through. But a lot of times it's because of something that we've done that we ought not to do. And then all of a sudden for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we feel the pressure and we can't rest the way we ought to rest. And we toss and we turn because we maybe have not got a right relationship with those who we are close to at the time. Why? Because I'll tell you what, sin weighs heavy on you. And sin does the same thing. You do something you should not be doing and living in a way you should not be living and you know that it is wrong. It's going to weigh heavy on you. It's going to push you down and press you down. And not, you're not going to feel like you ought to feel. You know, one of the best feelings in the world is the day that you get saved, the next time, Pastor, the best feeling in the world is when you get things right with God. Amen. Well, I tell you what, you don't need to get saved again. You just need to get things right with God, amen, that you might restore that fellowship that you had between you and the holy God. Uh, we'll never forget the day we got saved, amen. You remember the day you got saved, amen? amen. The day you, well, about four or five of you. Remember the day you got saved? Amen. Thank you, that helps, hallelujah. <laughs> I begin to wonder. I thought maybe I better change the message here real quick. <laughs> My friend, we just... It causes distress. It, it'll, it'll beat you down, man. It'll wear you out. The sin is a terrible thing in a born-again believer's life, and too many believers are excusing it away today and allowing it to become a part of their daily life and allowing it to, to hinder their relationship between them and a holy God and then a relationship between them and other people. Uh, sin, will, sin will tear you apart. Look with me again back to the text. I want to look at verse uh, 5 through verse 10. It displeases God. And the truth about sin, it causes distress. The truth about sin, number 3. Look at verse 5 with me. My wounds stink, David says. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my, he said, my foolishness. He said, in my sin, I, I was foolish. And he said, I, I sinned. I'm troubled, he says. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Boy, it weighs so heavy on me. It's just weighing and pressing down on me and, and hurting me. And, and all the day long, I'm mourning because of, not because of his problems, but because of his sin. I'm troubled and I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also, it also is gone from me. Remember again, number one, the truth about sin is it displeases God. The truth about sin is it causes destruction. The truth about sin is it brings division. It brings division. 
It brings division. It causes destruction here. But look what he says on this thought. And it causes destruction. It'll, it'll, it'll not just press you down, but it'll tear you up. How many of you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible? Go with me to the book of Acts in chapter 5 just for a moment. Acts in chapter 5. Over in the book of Acts in chapter 5. And let's just review just for a moment here. Just a couple of thoughts. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, it says in verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. This is one of the church, the people of the church in the beginning, sold all their possession and brought them together, it says, and, and they all lived from that. Uh, they gave it to the church. And well, I tell you, what a, what a tremendous thought as we studied the scriptures, amen. It says, and kept back a part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, it's not that they kept it back was wrong, because that's what happens. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land? Well, as it remained, was it not thine own? When you had the land, wasn't it yours? Yeah. And he said, and after it was sold, was it not thine own, in thine own power? Yeah, to do with the money what he wanted to do. He said, he said why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart that thou hast lied unto uh, men? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Well, when Ananias and Sapphira brought their offering, they laid it at the apostles' feet, and he said, this is what we got for what we sold. They didn't tell the whole truth. It wasn't wrong that they kept some from themselves. What was wrong was they lied about it, let everybody around think that they were doing great things and they gave everything they had and all their possession they sold and they gave it all to the church, they gave it all to the apostles' feet that it could be used communally with everybody at that time. It wasn't the problem uh, that, they, that they brought it and laid it there. The problem was they brought it and he said, this is all we have. But they kept back a portion for themselves so they lied to the Holy Spirit of God. Sin will destroy you. Look what he goes on to say. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound them up, and carried them out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in and Peter answered her and said, tell me whether thou sold the lamb for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried their husband are at the door and uh, shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth buried her by her husband. I like the next verse. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Boy, I tell you what, when sin is made known amongst the people of God, we ought to fear, amen? We ought to fear. We ought to fear a holy God because of what God can do because of sin. You say, Brother Mike, I've been in sin for a long time in my life. Nobody knows it and God hasn't done anything about it. I beg to differ with you. I beg to differ with you. You have blinders on if you don't think God is dealing with you. 
Every son whom he receiveth, he says, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you're a child of God, God has dealt with you and he is dealing with you if it's unconfessed sin. And sin will destroy you. Sin will, sin will man, my friend, I want you to know something. It will, it will beat you down to the point and you might, on the outward, you might look fine. On the outward, you might have a smile on your face. On the outward, you might look okay. And everybody else around you, you might look okay, but God knows your heart. In Psalm chapter 90, he talks about the secret sin. The secret sin. That which nobody knows about. That which nobody knows about. You'd find that over in Psalm chapter 90, verse 7 and 8. You can look it up later. Nobody else knows about it, but God knows about it. You cannot hide anything from God. The same way that that Holy Spirit of God revealed unto Peter that Ananias and Sapphira lied uh, to them, then he says the same God is the same God that knows when you're lying to man also because he knows your heart. He knows the sin. He knows the sin in your life. He knows what you're doing. He knows what's going on. He knows what you have hidden, my friend. You cannot hide anything from God. You might hide it from the preacher. might hide it from your wife. might hide it from your husband. might hide it from your parents. might hide it from your best friends. But you cannot hide it from God. It's impossible to hide your sin from a holy God. Sin displeases God. Sin causes distress. Sin uh, causes destruction. And then look at verse 11 with me in our text. Let's go back to the text and look at verse 11 with me. He makes a statement, number four, I want you to see. Sin causes division. Number four, he said, my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore. Those who are the closest to me, he says, stand away from me. Don't want anything to do with me. Stay back away from me. He says, uh, aloof from my sore. And my kinsmen, my kinsmen, those are his relatives, man, stand afar off. Uh, they also that seek after my life lay snares for me, uh, that, they may seek, uh, that they may seek my hurt, speak mischievous things, and imagine deceits all the day long. He's of my friends and my family, and those that are closest to me stand away from me. And then those who hate me are making traps for me to fall into. Oh, my friend, I want to tell you what. This sin causes division in the family, causes division in the friendship, causes division between husband and wife, causes division in the church. Sin is such a terrible thing in our lives. As believers in Christ, we need to recognize it and flee from it, amen. Run from it, get away from it, and having nothing to do with it as a child of God. We ought to get away from things. There's even some things that might not be, Pastor, that might not be terrible to do uh, that I, I determined a long time ago I don't even want to do. For instance, uh, uh, I, I made a, in my mind, in my heart, uh, I decided years ago that uh, if I missed a turn on a road, Pastor, if the next parking lot was a bar, 
I was not turning my truck and trailer around in that bar parking lot. You say, why, Brother Mike? Because I was afraid I'd get to the church and somebody be going down the road and I'd get in there on a Saturday and Sunday morning they would say, I saw you pull out of the bar down the street, amen? So, I mean, to the best of my ability, other than one or two times in all these years, I, I just would not have anything to do with that. And there would, would there be anything sinful with turning around there? Absolutely not, amen. And it might be all right for you, but it's something I commitment that I made and I don't want to do, amen. I tell you what, I've turned around some pretty tight spots before, but I stay away from bars, amen. <laughs> don't want nothing to do with a bar. I tell you what, my friend, sin can cause division. I don't want to do anything that's going to cause division in the house of God or in a believer's life, in a believer's heart, between him and God. The sin will split your home. Sin will split the church. Sin will destroy the ministry. Sin will destroy your lives. We think so little of it today. A man of God in the house of God gets up and he preaches against the sin that comes against God and people walk out like it's nothing. They walk out like it's no big deal. They might walk out and say, well, that was a good that was a good sermon preacher or pastor. That was good. And on the way out the door, they're saying, but it doesn't apply to me. How sad. Amen. How sad that we would not take sin, that we would not take sin for reality and believe that sin is sin. Now, we need to be so careful as the children of God that will destroy your home and family and marriage and your relationship with your friends and the church. Uh, he says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 6, by mercy, by mercy, he says, and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. By the fear of the Lord, how much do you fear God today? I remember years ago, my wife and I were talking after I finished the revival meeting. I can't remember. I'm going back a long time ago. But I remember in a van one time. We don't even have a van anymore. We had a van uh, pulling a trailer with back then. And I remember we, we left the church, and the pastor asked me at the church. He, he said, what do you see as, the, as the, uh, uh, one of the problems in the church today? And I said, the church has become complacent and apathetic. Amen. Amen. And many churches have become pathetic, amen, but uh, apathetic to the things of God. And my wife told me, uh, uh, coming, I always give her credit for this one, amen. I don't credit her for a lot, but she gets credit for this. She told me, she says, you know, she said, I believe it's more than that. I said, well, she says, we don't fear God anymore. We just don't fear God. And that's true, amen. People just don't fear God anymore. You know what you mean to fear God, Brother Mike? Well, sometimes to fear God just simply means I'm afraid to do something that stupid that's going to cause me uh, to step out of the ministry of God for the rest of my life. I don't want that. But by the grace of God, there go I, amen. And that's how we ought to be. By the grace of God, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be involved in that. I don't want to, I don't want to partake of that sin, that wickedness, that ungodly mentality that the world has. That's what the world has to offer you. There's nothing in the world worth going back to, amen. There's nothing there. Pastor, I want to tell you what, if I had a job and if I had a boss that told me in order to keep this job, you've got to drink this wine, I'm going to dump it down the drain and lose my job, amen. I'd rather serve God than serve the world. 
We just ought to do what's right as the children of God. I know that preaching don't go over too good today anymore. You might not ever want me back again, but it's right preaching, amen? Look at verse 13 with me of our text. It's not just causing division and destruction and ought to be, to, but it's delusional. Look what he says in verse 13. <clears throat> We're beginning, let, me, let me back up verse 11. <clears throat> 12, 30, yep, 13 is what I want. I forget where I'm at sometimes, amen. <laughs> he said, but I, I, but I as a deaf man heard not. And I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Now, that's not a derogatory statement, my friend. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a friend. He was deaf and dumb. Didn't mean he was dumb. He said one time to somebody, uh, signed to them, he says, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm dumb, I'm not stupid. Amen. <laughs> he said, I'll never forget it. Amen. And a dear friend of mine in our town had a chance to witness to him. After I got out of prison, don't think he ever got saved. Him and his wife were both deaf. And I spoke a little bit of sign language, not much, you know, but just enough to communicate with him. And as far as I know, he never got saved, but uh, witnessed to him. But he was deaf and dumb. And it just means he could not hear and could not speak. Uh, no speech to him. And David says, man, he says, I, but, I, uh, but I as a deaf man heard not. Well, David wasn't deaf. David had hearing, but he said, I, as, you know, I was like that. He said, I as a dumb man uh, that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. And, and the thought is this, you're living in a, you're living in a mannerism uh, of something in your life that's not correct, and you think you're okay. And simply I wrote down that the truth about sin is it's delusional. You think everything is fine. And David says, I finally came to realization that I was like a deaf man and a dumb man. And I didn't say anything about it. And there was no reproof in my mouth. I thought everything was fine. And my friend, it was not fine. Luke chapter 12, verse 18 and 19 says this. You can turn there if you want to, but I'm going to read it. I already have it on my iPad up here. He says this, and he said, this will I do. Speaking about this rich man who, who had many barns. This man here, he says, and he said, I, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Uh, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? This man was delusional. He thought he had the whole rest of his life. He said, but tonight, he said, you can do what you want. He said, but tonight, your soul is going to be required of you. You're not going to take ease after what you've done. You're not. Hey, listen, my friend. Sometimes we think that Sin is okay and nobody knows and everything's all right and all you're doing is fooling yourself. Just fooling yourself. You can fool yourself all that you want. The problem is many times you're not fooling anybody else around you and you're not fooling the Lord. Amen? You're not fooling God. I was telling them in the earlier service today, I had a friend a number of years ago who was no longer 
uh, of our stripe in evangelism. He was at one time uh, a good man, good preacher, and he held a meeting out in out in uh, uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, and it was supposed to be a four-day revival meeting. And he said he got out there and he began to preach that Sunday morning. And he said the, the wall went up like a glass wall between him and the people. And he said, man, no response. It was dead. He said, I, I'm preaching. And he said, I come to the end of medicine. He said, I think there's something wrong with me. So he said, I go home to my motel that afternoon after lunch and I sit down on my bed and I get down on my knees and I begin to study a little bit and I ask God, reveal to me if there's something in my heart and it's not right, Lord, you need to show me. See if there be, like David says, see if there be any wicked way in me. And he said, when I was all done praying, he said, God would not show me anything. He said, I believed my heart was right with God. He said, I got up and I got ready to preach at night, prayed about the message, and I got in the pulpit Sunday night and I began to preach. He said, immediately, as soon as I started preaching, there went that glass wall between me and the people. He said, man, it was dead. It was dead. Now, this guy's a good preacher. Does a good job, pastor, preaching. There's a radio ministry and everything now uh, up in Michigan. A great man of God, loves the Lord. And he said the same thing, that wall went up and everything I said just sort of stopped right there. And he said, I went home that night and he said, I prayed. And he said, I got up the next morning, I told the, uh, I went to the pastor's office at nine o'clock and, and I sat down in the pastor's office and told the pastor, he said, pastor, he said, this is what happened yesterday. And he said, pastor, he said, you have a problem in your church. And the pastor says, I know it. That's why I had you come. <laughs> And he said, their church was just in the pews on this side and this side. There were three sets, just two rows of pews and an aisle right down the middle. And he said, do you see the man who sits on the front pew up here? He said, yes. And do you see the man who sits on the front pew over here? He said, yes. He said, those two men are brothers and they haven't spoke, I think he said, in almost a year. And the people who, and it's over a disagreement in the church. And the people who sit on this side agree with this brother. And the people who sit on this side agree with this brother. This man wrote a track later on or a book called Revival or Ruin based on this instance. And the pastor said they have not spoken to each other. And these people here do not speak with these people here. I'm pointing you all out today. Just kidding you, amen. <laughs> they don't speak to the people. He said there's no unity he said, I went home to my motel and I prayed that afternoon, God, give me a message, help me to get up and preach tonight. And he got that night and he preached about bitterness and anger and hatred. He just, just, just and, and then he, with forgiveness, amen. He said, and I began to preach, that wall went like this. He said, and all of a sudden as I'm preaching, I feel it coming down and the Holy Spirit's working, the Holy Spirit speaking. And when it was all done, that wall was down. And when I gave the invitation, this man here got up out of his seat. And this man here got up out of his seat. And they met in the middle, hugging each other and weeping like babies, asking forgiveness one from another. He said, within a matter of just a few minutes, this side of the church emptied out. And this side of the church emptied out. And people were meeting in the middle. 
in that middle aisle. There was no room at the pulpit meeting in that middle aisle, asking forgiveness one of another, seeking God's face and asking them, asking to forgive one another and just weeping. He said, he said revival broke out. That was supposed to be a, a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday meeting. Went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Two full weeks of meetings as a result of revival that broke in the church because people recognized that there was a sin that needed to be dealt with. And we say, we want revival today. And I say, hallelujah. But as long as there is sin in the house of God and in children's lives, there will not be revival. It's got to be dealt with. It's got to be dealt with. If you don't deal with it in your own life, my friend, you'll never experience or understand what revival is all about. Amen. It's delusional. Look with me at verse 16. Verse 16 through verse 20. I'll come back to 15 in just a minute. Verse 16 says, For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready, and I watch David, for I am ready to halt. I'm going to stop. Here's David's repentance. Watch what he says. He says, I'm ready to halt. And my sorrow is continually before me. You're not, li- listen, you're, you'll be sorry one of two ways. Because of sin, you'll be sorry. Here's one way you'll be sorry. Here's the world's way of sorrow. Sorrow is this. I'm sorry because I was caught. David's come to a place where I'm sorry because of my sin. Not because he was caught. But because he sinned. So David says here, he says, For for I am ready to halt, and, and my sorrow is continually before me, for I will declare mine iniquity. I will, God, I am sorry, I have sinned against you, and this is exactly what I have done, Lord. I will be sorry for my sin, David says. Second Corinthians seven. 10 says this, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Because the world's not sorry because of what they've done. The world's sorry because they were caught. How sad. Amen? How sad. Look with me if you will. Verse 18 again, for I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But David says, even coming to that point, but my enemies are lively and they are strong and they hate me wrongfully or multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow, now David says, because I follow the thing that good is. Now I've, I've made my decision to follow God and obey God and now those who are against me hate me even more. I don't think they hated him much, Pastor. Uh, at the beginning of this text, when he was living in a mannerism inconsistent with the word of God, but now he's confessed his sin and making th- things right with those who are around him and making things right with God. And his enemies no longer want anything to do with him. Now they hate him, despise him. And there might even be some 
some, listen, can I tell you what? When you get things right with God, there's even going to be some Christians who don't like you. You know why? Because they're not right with God. Just that simple. You can't base your rightness with God on what somebody else is going to think or what somebody else is going to say or do. You have to base it on your relationship between you and God. Make sure your heart is right where it ought to be between you and him. I want to show you the last thought here. Let's see, the truth about sin, it must be denied. The truth about sin is that God can deliver you from it. Look at verse 21 with me. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. I'll go back to verse 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Now watch what he says. Here's here's his hope. Thou wilt hear it's a sure thing. My hope, here's Lord, my hope's in you. He says, and there's a there's a colon there. And then he says, then he makes a statement right after that uh, colon this there. He says, Thou wilt hear. It's a surety. There's nothing, listen to me. There's nothing you can do as a child of God that God will not forgive you for. You hear me? There's nothing you can do as a child of God that God will not forgive you for. You just need to ask him. And he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. No matter what the sin is, God will forgive you. Well, I tell you what, you know, the only sin that God cannot forgive has nothing to do with the believer. Amen? What's that? The sin of rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. If you're a born-again believer, you accepted Jesus Christ, amen? But if you have not accepted him and you reject him, then that will not be forgiven when you go into eternal damnation. There's no second chance once you're dead. My friend, I want to tell you what, I think we need to simply understand what God said. There's nothing he can't forgive you for. He says in 1 John 1, 9, he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives our sins and cleanses from what? All unrighteousness. All. And any sin that you could commit as a born-again believer, God is willing to forgive you for. And if you're sitting here today and you've never been a born-again believer and never been saved by his grace, and if you're not sure that if you died, if you're not sure that if you died that you'll go to heaven, you need to get that settled between you and God. Can I tell you this? I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I don't have a question mark on my mind about that. He said in First in, in John five thirteen, these things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I know. K N O W know that I have eternal life. Amen. Not based on me, but based on the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I know I'm saved, and you can know the same thing. You can know the same thing. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with the Lord today. I, I don't know if there's something in your 
in your, in your heart that you need to get settled with him? I, I don't know. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you this morning. Is there anybody in here right now, maybe with an upraised hand, would say, Mike, there's, a, there's something in that message where God spoke to my heart this morning, something I know I need to get settled with him. How about it right now? You just say, pray for me. You just stick your hand up in the air, pray for me. God bless you. A number of hands. How about it? God bless you. Praise the Lord. Others, amen. Praise the Lord. And God bless you. You can put them down. Anybody else this morning? He said, I can pray for you about that. Would you just pray for me? Because there's something there where God spoke to my heart, something in my heart that I need to get settled between me and the Lord today. How about anybody else like that this morning? And I'll pray for you. The second question is this. If your life ended right now, your life ended right now, where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend eternity? Would you spend eternity in heaven? Or a lot of people say, well, I think so, but I'm not sure. Are you a think so and I'm not sure? Or are you sure? If you think so, but you're not sure, this would be a good time to get it settled today. Just about everybody in this room got that settled at one time or another. Many at an old-fashioned altar. Is there anybody here this morning with an upraised hand and say, Mike, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about my eternal resting place. I'm not sure I'd spend it with Jesus in heaven. Just not sure. Could you pray for me this morning? Same thing, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I count the privilege to pray for anybody at all. Just slip your hand up and say, that's me. Anybody at all, I'm not sure. Just pray for me today. I don't see any hands. I hope. My friend, I hope, I hope, I hope you're saved. I really do. I really do. I really do. Now, Father, I thank you for these who slipped up their hand today. And God, you know their heart. God, you know their needs. Father, it's only you're the only one that can meet them. You're the only one that can help, Father. I pray, dear God, that you would do that today. As your Holy Spirit works yet, Father, please help us. We'll give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for a minute as the piano is still playing? Heads bowed, eyes closed as you stand to your feet. And the Lord spoke to your heart. And you said, Mike, pray for me today. I'm just an old, independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. I know your pastor gives them here an old-fashioned altar call. The Lord spoke to your heart, and you raised your hands and prayed for me. I did. Why don't you slip out of your seat, and you come and take care of that between you and the Lord right now? How about this morning? You slip out, you come. God bless you, sir. How about you slip out, and you come? God bless you, sir. How about it? Come on. Some of you raise your hand. God bless you, sister. Amen. Come on. Lord spoke to your heart. Why don't you slip out, and you come? Come on. God bless you. God bless you. Folks, come on. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Amen, sister. Lord bless you. How about it? Come on. You say, I'm afraid what somebody's going to think about me. Quit worrying about somebody else and start worrying about what God thinks. Amen. Nobody else can help you like Jesus can help you. He's the only one that can do it, my friend. Why don't you come and get that settled between you and him today? Many of you others raised your hand. Why don't you come? Why don't you come deal with that between you and the Lord? 
get that thing taken care of, that God might have the honor and have all the glory. I'm going to turn over to Pastor in just a minute. You slip out your tongue.